you're always playing for something, though, and you lose a little piece of your locker room when you do that, I yeah. think. But this player, I think, is the type of player that we would look back on in five years and say, he's why the lottery exists now. Okay, John, so he's saying, you know, you lose a little piece of your locker room if you deliberately try to tank. That's what he's saying there. But, but there's no rules against, there's no lottery yet. So there's no rules preventing us from doing it, which is why this is not that far-fetched of a topic. When you look at the Broncos being one in five, and you look at this season maybe being over, we're creeping up on the trade deadline here on Halloween, where guys, we talked about it last week, guys like Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton and Garrett Bowles and Justin Simmons and go down the list, right? The, the Broncos actually have some pieces that they could move for what? Some of these guys, you get more than a six or, uh, you know, swap at a sixth and seventh round pick. Do the Broncos get to the point where it is they decide to tear it down? Hey there, welcome into the show. Ryan O'Leary here alongside my friend John Heath. This is the Broncos Wire podcast. We are powered by the USA Today Network, and you can support us by subscribing to the pod, leaving a review, telling a friend, spreading the word. We appreciate you hopping on board. John, how are you this week? Uh, I'm conflicted, Ryan. <laughs> like last week, uh, the Broncos, I was so uh, encouraged by their defense. And the thing is, you have to be careful with the division game because sometimes because it's an opponent you're familiar with, um, you just play better against someone like the Chiefs than you would expect a bad team to. So I don't know if it was just like a fluky thing. The defense is not going to be like that every week. But if that it like if the defense could keep up that pace the rest of the year, like that's phenomenal. But it was so discouraging the the week that the defense plays like that. Of course, the offense has one of, if not the worst games of the season. So I'm so like up and down on the Broncos like on the one hand I'm like they're they're just a bad team like you can't escape the fact that they're a bad team and then on the other hand I'm like but they really had a chance against the Chiefs and like you know it could have should have would have but like a thing here a thing there like they could be a four or five win team right now like the NFL is just like that like so many games are so close so I really don't know how to feel about the Broncos. I think this we'll, we'll get into it later, but the Packers game coming up, like if they're going to salvage their season, they have to beat green Bay. If they don't, then they're going to be one in six and we might be in full on tank mode, but I don't know, like the Ryan, the sorry, stumbling over myself here, Ryan, but the Broncos have me feeling conflicted. Cause like there, there's signs of life, but I still just, can't like escape the thought that like there's no hope for this season how are you feeling about them yeah i like that question the how are you john question it, it gets more loaded every every week right it gets more <laughs> tougher to respond to every week uh as a broncos fan trying to uh get through this season and uh yeah no i'm, I'm with you i think the question is at one in five is is the season already lost right does it matter uh if you can beat green bay or not because you do have kansas city on deck but yeah that was a big reason why i I picked the Broncos to cover the 10 and a half last week on the show, John. I thought divisional so game. Close. Yeah, the Chiefs aren't really that. They're not that juggernaut that I think we might see them become later on in the season. And I just thought this is the spot for the Broncos to play a good game. And they we got the game that we expected on the defensive side. Of course, they lost by 11. So I was wrong on that pick, John. Of course. That's just how that life works with sports betting, right? But it's the offense. It's the offense that took the step back on Thursday night football 
And uh, the offense took such a step back, John, that in our show notes for this episode, you literally posed the question, is Sean Payton trying to tank? It was that bad, right? Because Russell Wilson, he's finishing with less than 100 uh, passing yards in this ballgame. It was just 44. They were sitting on 44 passing yards entering the fourth quarter. He finishes with 13 completions, 95 passing yards. Not going to get it done against Patrick Mahomes on the road. Never. You just You can't win no matter how your defense plays if you do that on offense. Uh, we got weird, questionable, head-scratching time management stuff that we can get into with Sean Payton to the point, John, where in the postgame, Sean Payton saying, basically calling himself an idiot and make for the mistakes he's making out there, uh, literally handing the Chiefs points at the end of the first half. I mean, how do you make sense of this? The, uh, the step back from the offense was the most discouraging thing. I think the defense was a pleasant surprise. They kept you in this ballgame, but you don't score points until there's six minutes left in regulation. So, uh, you know, make it make sense, John. And and what do you mean by that question? Is Sean Payton trying to tank? Like, what, what brought you there? Well, I, I'm just posing the question as like, uh, like literally as a question. I don't know. I don't have the answer. Like nobody besides Sean Payton would know. But I've seen a lot of people suggesting it on Twitter. And right now, I think it's still just like people, at least in part, being funny. But I think some people do truly think, that Sean Payton's like obviously he's not trying to lose, but if the Broncos are only bad, like he's okay with losing games and ending up with Caleb Williams because th- there's a c- clip that's been going around on social media. People keep reposting it from last year when Sean Payton was out of coaching. He was taking a break and he was working for Fox Sports and he was talking about uh, Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback. And in that interview, I think it may have been with uh, Colin Coward. It was some Fox show. Uh, Peyton was talking about how Williams was a generational quarterback and how he thinks, uh, you know, he's so good that a team could intentionally tank to pick him. And the NFL might one day consider like going to a lottery system to prevent teams from tanking for a player that that's good. And so everyone now is kind of that clip is popping up again. And people are like, look how much Sean Peyton likes uh, Caleb Williams and look at the bonehead, what he described himself as a bonehead decision he made against the Chiefs, gifting the Chiefs three points. And like the thing is with that, the Chiefs also had timeouts. So it's not like it necessarily would have made a difference. Casey would have called timeout themselves, but still he doesn't have to gift that to him. And apparently he just lost track of downs, which is crazy. So right now it's nothing more than just like a silly conspiracy theory, but I don't know, like as the season goes on, if the Broncos continue losing and like, there's no hope at all, like there does come a point where you not, not like literally tanking, but like, of course they're going to go out and try to win. But do you start giving reps to like some younger players to get a look at them and evaluate them for the future and maybe some veteran established guys that you know what you have, you kind of put them on the bench and like, yeah, you're trying to win the game, but you're thinking more towards the future, getting to look at young people. And if you end up losing, maybe that's not that bad. So the tank is kind of a loaded word. I think different people have different uh, interpretations of what that means. But for the Broncos, I think that's what it could be. Like if we get halfway through the season and they've only won like one more game than they have right now. I think we could see more reps for younger guys. I think we'll get into this, but I think we could see more players moved, uh, traded ahead of the trade deadline. And then I think like 
again. Not that Sean Payton's like, all right, guys, we're going to go out there and we want to lose this game. <laughs> but just like the decisions they make, the people they decide to start, the people they decide to bench, I think it could come to that point. Right now, I don't think it's there yet, but I think the Broncos might get there. You mentioned the clip that's been going around. Broncos fans are sharing it. It was before he became head coach of the Broncos. He's still Mr. Commentator at this point, the analyst for Fox Sports, although Sean Payton still kind of wears that hat here and there ever since he took the job for the Broncos. Uh, But here's just a very short clip of Sean Payton. This is after he calls Caleb Williams a generational talent, kind of compares him to Patrick Mahomes a little bit before he stops himself. Uh, And then they kind of get into this thing about teams deliberately uh, tanking. He brings up his friend, Lovey Smith and the Buccaneers where he was in a game and the Bucs pulled their starters. And then the Eagles had some mysterious stuff too. The Bucs ended up drafting Jameis Winston with the number one pick and the Eagles did something similar to keep themselves kind of in whatever draft slot they were in. They, I remember they famously started Nate Sudfeld who just, blows and the head coach at the time i forget who it was but said they just had to get uh was it peterson doug peterson back then they said uh they just had yeah they just had to get uh nate some reps had to get nate (laughs) sudfeld some reps when they deliberately tanked i believe i believe it was a sunday night football game against the giants and they deliberately tanked but here's sean payton after that you're always playing for something though and you lose a little piece of your locker room when you do that i think but this player i think is the type of player that we would look back on in five years and say, he's why the lottery exists now. Okay, John. So he's saying, you know, you lose a little piece of your locker room if you deliberately try to tank. That's what he's saying there. But there's no rules against, there's no lottery yet. So there's no rules preventing us from doing it, which is why this is not that far-fetched of a topic. When you look at the Broncos being one and five, and you look at this season maybe being over, We're creeping up on the trade deadline here on Halloween where guys, we talked about it last week, guys like Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton and Garrett Bowles and Justin Simmons and go down the list, right? The the Broncos actually have some pieces that they could move for what? Some of these guys, you get more than a six or, uh, you know, swap it a sixth and seventh round pick. Do the Broncos get to the point where they decide to tear it down? I know some fans are out. We talked about this a little bit last week. I know some fans are, are, hoping that Sean Payton gets the axe, not happening. It's not happening. The only Payton that's going to get the axe is George Payton. And then guess who would have a huge say in who the next GM is? Sean Payton. You know what I mean? Like that's, yep. that's where we are. Uh, the, the ownership of the Broncos, they're all in on Sean Payton. This is his team. If he leaves, it's because he wants to. It's not because the team fires him. So I think the most logical thing right now, John, if this season is over, if one in five or they lose to the Packers 1-6, and that's the point of demarcation, whatever. I think that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the official teardown, where Sean Payton might get to pick his own GM, start selling off pieces he doesn't want for draft capital, and then try to figure out what he does with that draft capital. Uh, on the topic of Kayla Williams, I find this question kind of interesting, John, right? Because we could talk about tanking all we want. What are the odds the Broncos are going to get the number one pick in Caleb Williams? Super slim because of the Chicago Bears. Okay, the Chicago Bears own Carolina's number one pick from last year when they made the trade. The Bears were in the one spot last year. That's how the Panthers got Bryce Young, obviously. The Panthers are still winless. So right now, that pick belongs to the Bears. Oh, yeah, the Bears are also the worst team in football. So they're number two. So the Bears have the top two picks. 
and Justin Fields is hurt, and they're starting an undrafted rookie named Tyson Bajant right now at quarterback. So the Bears are going to be hard to catch in a tanking situation. And when you factor in the, the, the pick they have from the Panthers and the Panthers being the only winless team, it's going to make getting that pick from the Bears very hard, John, unless you trade for it. So say you're Ryan Poles, the Bears GM. You, you have the, not, the top two picks or two of the top three picks or whatever, including number one overall. You've decided that you want to keep Justin Fields. You think the best thing for your organization is to stick with Justin Fields and build around him. So you hold the probably the biggest auction in NFL history, John, for Caleb Williams, right? Because everyone's going to want to be in on that. And it, you're going to see the biggest trade package ever for uh, the number one overall pick. It's going to be, it's going to set a record, right? This is going to be the biggest trade ever if the Bears have that first pick and they decide to trade it and not draft the kid them, themselves. Should Denver be in on that, right? If you're Sean Payton, you're the Denver Broncos, would you want your team in on Caleb Williams, John, or do you just want them to draft the next quarterback and start the succession plan behind Russell Wilson right now, right? I find that fascinating. Would you want the Broncos going in there and trading what? their next four first round picks. Like what's the number going to be? It's going to be something ridiculous like that for Caleb Williams. Do you want Denver doing that? Or do you just want them picking a quarterback early in the draft next year? Yeah, that is fascinating. And, and part of it is like, say the Broncos, as you mentioned, like the Panthers and the bears are so bad. It seems very likely at least now, unless like the Panthers start, you know, win a handful of games by accident later this year, it seems like the bears will be one and two. And if Justin Fields like takes a little bit of a step forward and they're going to decide to stick with Justin, which there's no guarantee that would happen. Probably not, right? Probably not. (laughs) But in a hypothetical, if they're going to keep Justin Fields and not draft uh, Caleb Williams, also hypothetically, say the Broncos end up with third overall pick, which right now they are on pace for. And like uh, the thing is about like being just a couple spots behind the Bears Yes, uh, it would take a lot to go up. Like they'd have to trade multiple first round picks, like you said. But if the Bears are moving from one to three or two to three, that they the Bears still end up with a phenomenal, phenomenal player at number three. And then they get, you know, maybe two more first round picks from the Broncos. I don't maybe I'm dead wrong, but I feel like their first round pick in 24, first round 25, first round 26, I think. That might be, you know, that might be enough for the Bears because of what kind of player the Bears would get third overall in the draft. Again, just like as a hypothetical where the Broncos have third overall. But I don't know. I may be wrong because like you said, it's going to be a bidding war and teams are going to offer so much. I don't think you can go out. It's I I don't think you can go four years. I think you can only go three years out for draft trades. So unless a team like a, had acquired multiple picks and trades from other players, like nobody could give up their own more than three first round picks. I think you can't I'm trade like your pick in. You can't pick. You can't trade your pick in like twenty thirty. You know, yeah, I think exactly, in the NBA exactly. you can go like in the NBA you can go like seven years down the road, but maybe the NFL yeah, is not insane. like that. I wasn't sure. That would be so hard to track for NFL trades. Um. But yeah, so I I really don't know how much the Bears would value how high the Broncos first round pick would be opposed to like another team that wins like six or seven games and they're picking like 10th overall, but they offer like 
two future first round picks in addition to 10th overall. And then they like acquired another first round pick in a trade that they're able to trade them. I don't like would the bears take third overall and two first from Denver instead of, uh, you know, four first round picks from another team. I don't know. Like it's, it's a hypothetical. That's, a question as April draws closer, we could get more into, but we'll recycle that one. Yeah. For Denver, it's, it would that be worth it for Denver? Say the bears would accept that say like three first round picks. Is it worth it for Denver? And if they're convinced Caleb Williams is the guy, I think it is worth it. Cause you've got to have a franchise quarterback to win the NFL. And like, there's always a chance of someone being a bust, but the way people talk about Caleb Williams being a generational quarterback and like, uh, Andrew Luck and Trevor Lawrence, like when these guys came out of the draft, it was this kind of talk. And like, again, there's always a possibility of a bust, but he seems like a relatively sure thing. So they might think it's worth moving up if they don't end up with the first overall pick. And I, if they're convinced he's a guy, I wouldn't be mad about that. And another thing to watch is uh, Drake May, the USC quarterback, it, he's, it's definitely not the consensus, but there are some draft pundits who actually think May is the top prospect for the 2024 draft class. And the Broncos had scouts at North Carolina's game this past weekend. So they got a front row seat to him. They George Payton got a front row seat to Caleb Williams earlier this season. So they're definitely looking at quarterbacks. And I think Williams and May are the top two guys. So, say someone else trades a bunch of picks the Broncos aren't willing to for Williams, like hypothetically, again, if they're third overall, if they got May, you know, there's a possibility, like if they're convinced he's a franchise guy, that might be a better route for them. So it, it because it's such a hypothetical, it's hard to nail down like which way I would lean on it because I don't know what it would take to move up. I don't know how they're going to feel about the two quarterback prospects. I don't know what other teams are going to offer, but it's a fascinating thought experiment. Yeah, it is. I just think, you know, whatever the most, the biggest trade in NFL history was for a first, the number one overall pick, I'd say go beyond that. I think that's what it's going to be. I, I think it's going to be uh, an unprecedented trade <laughs> to get up there. Uh, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Like this past year, everyone was convinced that it was Bryce Young. Bryce Young was the consensus guy. The, the Panthers gave up all kinds of stuff, including their best receiver and all these draft picks to move up there and get him. And guess what? CJ Stroud looks like the better player, right? So you just you just never know. You never know what's going to happen. That could certainly happen with Caleb Williams. It is fascinating, but it, this is all to say this is what we're looking at now with the the Broncos being one in five, worst start I believe since 1994. It's the first time they've been one in five since 1994. Obviously, they they did not make the playoffs, John, in '94. Uh, don't think they're heading for the playoffs now either. They're probably heading for, as you just kind of alluded to, a top five pick in the draft. So. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it is uh, frustrating with the state of the offense right now. Russell Wilson taking a step back in this big game uh, against the Chiefs. The time management that that, that timeout that was uh, wasted uh, that was crazy, right? I mean, this is something that it's not like this is a one off though, right? I think you could go through every single game. The Broncos have at least burned one timeout unnecessarily, John, in every single game. You could make the case for that. Uh, I think you could go through and this one, even on the first drive of the game, the Broncos get inside the Chiefs 40. It's fourth and three timeout. Let's burn one here on the first drive of the game to talk this over. And then Wilson comes out and gets gets sacked. <laughs> it's like it's like you just shaking your head as a fan. But yeah, that one late in the first half. I mean, who knows if the Chiefs are gonna call a timeout? Sean Payton said that they were about to. 
maybe they were just going to let the clock run out. Who knows? But when you call a timeout after Wilson sacked on third and five with 22 seconds left, Peyton calls a timeout to punt, to punt, John. So at that point, you're Sean Payton. Just let's put ourselves in Sean Payton's shoes here. You just screwed up, right? You Did you lose track of downs? You thought it was third down. Now it's fourth. Oh, crap. I should not have called that timeout. I lost my mind there. I was in my play sheet, whatever. Don't you just have to go for it? <laughs> that point to save face. Like You can't call a timeout after you get sacked on third and five with 22 seconds left. You can't call a timeout just to punt it to the Chiefs and help them out, right? Like you just Don't you kind of have to go for it and just say, even even if Russell Wilson jogs to the sideline, you're like, oh, crap, I I effed up, but F it, we're going for it. Let's go. We're going. <laughs> you know, that's what I would have done. I would have said, screw this. We're going for it. I don't want to look like that much of a jackass. But unfortunately, Peyton just had to bite the bullet there. But this is like, remind me how we're get, we've gotten better than the Hackett days with the clock management because they're burning timeouts all over the place. And the Russell Wilson, they zoom in on Russell Wilson's wristband and it looks like there's 20 pages of text, John, jammed on there in like four point font. And I, can you imagine in a hostile environment like Arrowhead Stadium trying to look at that freaking wristband, trying to make out what those words are? That What is that, size three, size four font? And Russell Wilson's crouching down there, staring at that wristband, trying to read the freaking text on there. It's like, how is this any better than the Hackett days? Yeah, so far it's not been any, barely any improvement. A lot of the same things like you mentioned. I do think part of it is Wilson, like not all of it, but part of it. I think we're seeing that, okay, a little bit last season it fell on Wilson too. But like you said, that bonehead mistake from Peyton, he's not been perfect either. And as you mentioned with the the wristband, like maybe the Broncos can streamline some things. Peyton has even talked about streamlining some things and making the language a little simpler, a little shorter to call out in the huddle to give themselves some more time because, yeah, they've had delay of games. They've had timeouts. It's, it's just, as you mentioned, like Hackett was a disaster last year. And they bring in this accomplished Super Bowl winning coach, a veteran who's had a lot of success in the NFL. And the assumption is, okay, we're going to be streamlined and efficient and, you know, be relevant again on offense. And and the offense has been better. I don't mean to suggest the offense hasn't been better. But just these these hiccups like this, like you said, it's, it's very frustrating. And it's something they got to get worked out. And I do think. Wilson is probably part of it, but Peyton clearly has to get better himself. And that's a weird thing to say about a guy who's been in the NFL so long and had so much success. But I I think it does go hand in hand because he had a lot of success with Drew Brees, who's probably really efficient and good and streamlined and getting in and out of the huddle. And Peyton over years built like chemistry with him and, and they could work well together. Like him and Russell Wilson were six games into Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. So as the season goes on, I think they'll be able to get a little bit smoother, hopefully. But yeah, it it as you said, like Hackett was a disaster last year. And right now the Broncos have a worse record than they had under Hackett. And some of the same things that plagued the offense last year are still plaguing them. So that it's it's a disappointing spot to be in for the offense because they kind of started the the season pretty well. And it was pretty exciting. And then last week, like I said, their defense was so well. It was like, okay, if we can get that Chiefs game defense and the Broncos offense from the first few weeks, then we have some. They're just they're inconsistent, wildly inconsistent. Like they haven't put a whole game together yet. A lot of games, they'll be bad in the first half, better in the second half, or they'll be good in the second half. 
bad in the second half. They'll be good on special teams. They'll be bad on special teams. For most of the season, it was terrible on defense, decent on offense. Last week, just out of nowhere, so good on defense and terrible on offense. And I, when it's consistency like that, I think that at least partly has to come down to coaching. So, I mean, obviously, there's no denying Sean Payton has been underperforming as a head coach. But as you said, they're not firing him. So we just got to tough it out for the rest of the season, see how it goes, see what draft pick they end up with, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, buckle in Broncos fans because he's not going anywhere. But yeah, John, no, I'm just nodding along with you. If you know, We do the show over the internet, but if you were right next to me, I'd hug you because I, I agree. They cannot sync up. They can't sync. It, it's, there's no complimentary football in this team. It's either it's one unit's playing well, the other one sucks. You know, offense is moving the ball. Defense can't stop anyone. Special team screws up something. We have a, a game here where you get your best performance of the season from your defense against a real quarterback, a real opponent on the road, and the offense literally can't generate 100 passing yards. It's like they have no situational, or it's, it's not situational, it's complimentary football, right? They just can't get all three phases to sync up, and it, it, it is maddening. Um, and I think that does directly come down to uh, to coaching. So we'll continue this conversation. Uh, we're going to get into the Packers game here coming up next. We also have to get into Jerry Judy and some uh, pregame stuff he got into with our with a, a friend, Steve Smith, veteran receiver, former NFL uh, receiver. He's on the, the Thursday night broadcast now. We'll hear from Steve Smith here coming up next, John, and react to that and then get into the Packers game right after we get some fantasy advice from the huddle.com. I'm Corey Bonini of TheHuddle.com, here to bring you fantasy football strong plays for week number seven. Quarterback Jordan Love, Green Bay Packers at Denver Broncos. Love returns from his bye week with an offense that should be as healthy as it has been all season, and he heads to the Mile High City to face a Denver unit that has given up 12 passing touchdowns in five contests, which is tied for the most in football. Only three of 168 attempts have been intercepted, and just the Washington Commanders have given up more fantasy points, mostly due to allowing big numbers to running quarterbacks. Love is a rock-solid quarterback one play. Running back Kareem Hunt, Cleveland Browns at Indianapolis Colts. As of Wednesday, Hunt was dealing with a thigh injury, so keep track of that one. But his workload ramped up last week, and he saw 12 carries and 3 receptions, resulting in 71 total yards and a score. He still fell behind Jerome Ford in utilizations, but that kind of touch tally cannot be ignored, especially in a week when you have 6 teams on bye. Indianapolis has allowed the 10th most PPR points in the last 5 weeks, and just 4 teams have been worse at keeping running backs out of the end zone on the ground. Desperate owners can roll with Hunt as an RB2 or a flex play. Wide receiver Joshua Palmer, Los Angeles Chargers at Kansas City Chiefs. Palmer has at least 10 PPR points in three straight contests, and he draws single coverage as defenses look to contain Keenan Allen. While Austin Eckler's return last week lowers Palmer's ceilings a little bit, there's still enough to go around in this high-volume passing offense. He has scored three times in the last two games versus Kansas City, and the Chiefs have given up four wide receiver touchdowns in the last five weeks. Plus, this one could turn into a shootout. Palmer is a quality wide receiver three during Bimageddon. Tight end Luke Musgrave, Green Bay Packers at Denver Broncos. We're double dipping on the Packers passing game with this one. There have been a few flashes from the rookie in 2023, and this could be the week in which it all comes together. Denver is the worst defense at limiting tight ends in the last five weeks. Six teams are on a bye to amplify the need to take a risk, and Musgrave has tallied six catches in two of the last three contests. The Broncos have permitted the most yards on the third most catches and touchdowns at the 11th highest rate since the end of week one. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out the huddle 
However, a short while ago, yeah. Broncos wide receiver Jerry Judy was walking by, and Steve called out to him, and he got a different reaction. I called out to him because uh, on my podcast, Cut To It, I just talked about guys that maybe have not um, showed up in a way or in a manner. And so the word that I've used uh, to describe him in the past was a jag, just a guy. And so when I saw him, he's playing well. I wanted to say to him face-to-face, like, hey, I know I said some things in the past I probably shouldn't have, and I'm sorry. That's what I wanted to say to him. His response, Mike Rod and Bucky, was ninja. Ninja? Yes, I'm using the word ninja. That's, I'm just using the word ninja. I don't mess with you. And it was a, it was a curse word. And so I was like, all right, and then he repeated it. So I'll say it again. I'm sorry that I said you were a jag, just a guy who's an average wide receiver that you're a first-round pick on that isn't doing anything. I hope today that you actually show up in a way that you haven't showed up in the last couple of years since they drafted you. So if you ever got a problem with Agent 89, I'm sorry for saying that you're an average wide receiver that they eventually will move on. And when teams call me and ask him, should they trade for you, I would say no, because he's mentally unable to handle constructive criticism from people who watch specifically, can he be a wide receiver? He could be a wide receiver. He's a tier three. Go back into the studio. I'm done now. Thank you. Okay, John. So that is by far uh, the the most entertaining thing that came out of that game uh, for a Broncos fan on Thursday night <laughs> had to be that, where literally I get my kid down uh, to bed, finally get him to sleep get on the couch to watch the game, pull out my phone, and this is all over social media. I watched that, and I was just glued to my phone, John. It was wildly entertaining. I have thoughts on on this from all angles. I have thoughts on Jerry Judy. I have thoughts on Steve Smith and his response and all this, John, but I'm going to give you the floor first. What do you think of this exchange between Jerry Judy and Steve Smith and then the rant Steve Smith went on the freaking pregame broadcast about Jerry Judy? I think two things. I think basically everything Steve Smith said is probably basically right. But I also think Steve Smith is a big baby. <laughs> like just like just because Judy's upset that uh, you you talked bad about him on your podcast and then you want to go talk to him in person and act like everything's fine. You know, hey, we're buds. You know, shortly after you just blast him on your podcast, Judy's like, no, 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 you blasted me. I'm not your friend. I'm not your buddy. Like that's it's not that immature of a response. Like a lot of NFL players would react that way to someone blasting them and then trying to be buddy, buddy in person. So I don't know what Steve Smith expected to happen. And like I said, what he said about Judy, it's probably mostly true. But him reacting like that and being so dramatic about it and then taking it out on national television, a chance to dunk on him right after he said he was going to apologize to him for what he said. I was just like, Steve Smith, you're being a big baby. And I, I love Steve Smith as a player. He was phenomenal. He was my favorite wide receiver growing up. And, you know, because of stuff like this, he was wildly entertaining, but you know, as a player, I feel like it's a little different than as a commentator. I thought this was like borderline unprofessional just because it was just, he was doing the exact same thing Judy did. He just happens to be on national TV blasting him. And so I, I thought it was kind of petty from Steve Smith to react that way to Judy not being happy about him, you know, roasting him on his podcast. You know, again, wildly entertaining, that rant by Steve Smith. I'm glad we have that. Uh, that is uh, that is excellent. I do say on Jerry Judy's side, his response to it 
while not as bad as Steve Smith because he's not holding a microphone in front of a camera on the sideline. I do think Jerry Judy's response to it, we've seen the visuals of it. I guess we could just take what Steve Smith said at face value. I find that childish. Like, you child, Jerry Judy. Come on. You're a professional athlete. You're going to get criticized, even by ex-players, especially by ex-players in today's media, right? This is why you make millions of dollars, right? This is <laughs> this is why you're a player and not a media member, right? You make millions of dollars to go out there, be a pro, take the criticism, whatever, ignore the noise, whatever, all that crap. Uh, and also, you're a professional athlete who's really accomplished zero in the league. So why are you carrying yourself like you're Jerry Rice? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's like you're not above the criticism, and he yeah, should like just that. understand that. You know what I mean? So I just think yeah. his response, his he could have just ignored him. He yeah. didn't have to carry him carry on like that and and put on a yeah. show. So please, I thought I thought Judy's response was childish and a bad look. Um, but Steve Smith, you freaking hypocrite! You <laughs> you such a hypocrite! Like you you were calling out to Judy to apologize because you were wrong about him. That's what you told us, and now you're going to re- redact that and say, "Well, Jerry was mean to me, so now he's tier three. Now he's not good." You know what I mean? It's like. Steve Smith, you freaking hypocrite. Just stick to your original take because you were right. You were right. Like, Judy's not a top-tier wide receiver in the league. We all see it. Not even close. His original take was correct. He should just have stuck with that and said the Broncos set themselves back by drafting a wide receiver in the first round that's probably not a tier one guy and just stuck with that, John. Instead, he made himself look extremely foolish. So, yeah, two big babies, in my opinion, Jerry Judy and Steve Smith. While I don't really blame Judy as much as I blame Smith, I think Smith looks worse. I think they were both being babies, and that's my take on it. Yeah, the immaturity that you mentioned, I we didn't directly mention, but Steve Smith talked about that conversation. We didn't see that happen. But then later on NFL Network's programming, when Steve Smith was talking again, Judy was like dancing around. Yeah, you know, behind them, like that was the, that uh, that part. I agree with. It's like, okay, Judy, now you're just being wildly immature. That that's just silly. Like saying to Steve Smith in person, like, I don't want to talk to you, man. Like that's whatever. I'm not worked up about that. But the way he was acting behind Steve Smith on TV, that was, I agree, that was childish. It's like you don't need to be doing that, Judy. Just just ignore him. Like block it out. And be like, okay, I'm going to go prove him wrong on the field. Don't be acting like that on TV. So I'm with you there. But again, I just, I think Steve Smith, it's like, man, you you were doing very similar to what you're upset at. Seriously. For doing. So it was just like, they're two diva wide receivers. One of them is retired on TV now, but they're two diva wide receivers. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, it's, it was hilarious. So again, I've said this plenty of times with Sean Payton too. Thank you, Steve Smith. Although you are a raging jackass for that rant, like I appreciate you doing it because it was hilarious and fun for us to talk about. Uh, and and to Jerry Judy, just can you show some, like be a professional and and maybe like if you're gonna carry on, like go out there and do better than three catches for, for fourteen yards. Like help us out here. Like be a pro. So that was annoying, but that brings us to the Broncos hosting the Green Bay Packers here in Week Seven. John, uh, Denver coming off the mini bye week that might help them. Eh. Well, Green Bay had a bye in week six, so I guess that's not going to help them too much. Both teams should be rested. The Packers should be getting Aaron Jones back. He's been battling a hamstring injury. I think he was a game-time decision before their bye week. Now he should be ready to roll. The Packers have lost two straight coming into this one, but one was to the Lions, who are really good. (laughs) The Lions, they might be one of the top teams in the NFC right now, John. Maybe all of football, the Lions. They're 
They are an excellent football team. And they also lost to Vegas on the road, I believe the Packers did. And Vegas, I think, is like a sneaky good defensive team that maybe they don't get enough credit because they have Josh McDaniels and they're just like a ridiculous organization. But the, I think the Raiders are sneaky good on defense. And they really, they forced Jordan Love into some mistakes. They pressured him. Max Crosby's a good player. The Raiders, they have a little something on defense, underrated. And the Packers had some issues and lost that game. I don't think, you know, just because the Packers lost two straight before the bye week, though, John, I'm just saying it's not, I don't think it's because they suck and they're terrible. No, no. I think Jordan Love is, I don't think Jordan Love's playing a high level of football. Uh, but I think this one is, uh, it's questionable at best. This is a, this is a tough one. The Packers are one and a half point favorites coming into Denver. Uh, what's your leadoff thought on the matchup? Yeah, I think the Packers being favorites, especially by such a far, small margin, I think that's totally fair. I think uh, over the course of the season, you say the Broncos are a bad team and the Packers, like, they're not terrible. It doesn't seem like they're, like, very good. But on paper, it sure seems like they're better than the Broncos and they've had a better season. So them being slight underdogs in Denver, I think that's fair or excuse me, being slight favorites in Denver, I think is fair. But as you mentioned, a couple of that stuff with Jordan Love, I do think the Broncos have a chance because Love's been sacked an average of two times a game. Nick Benito and Jonathan Cooper have really been coming on for the Broncos. They have nine and a half sacks combined. And I think Baron Browning's going to come back from the PUP list this week. So that will give their pass rush even more of a boost. And Love has six interceptions. He has two fumbles. Uh, the Broncos against the Dolphins and against the Commanders, they forced no turnovers. But over the last three weeks, they have forced five turnovers. So it seems like, and again, like maybe last week because it was the Chiefs, it was kind of a fluky thing being a division opponent. But it kind of seems like Denver's defense is trending a little bit in the right direction. And they're finally forcing some turnovers. They're finally generating some pressure. And to me, that that's a very good sign going against a guy like Jordan Love. And not that Jordan Love is a terrible QB. I think he's fine. But he's still kind of young in his starting career. He's been he's had a handful of turnovers. He's, you know, not reacted great to pressure. And the Broncos have been able to generate some pressure. And then on the other side of the ball on the offense, I think the Broncos run game, it, it like the only thing holding back the run game is game flow for the Broncos. When the Broncos get behind and they have to throw, then obviously it, they, they can't be running when they're chasing the game and have to throw to catch up. But when they do run the ball, like if they can get out to a lead, the Packers are allowing over 143 rushing yards a game. That's a fifth most in the NFL. Javante Williams was averaging more than five yards a carry against the Chiefs uh, on Thursday last week and Jaleel McLaughlin is averaging more than six and a half yards a carry on the season. So the Broncos have like two very talented running backs on offense. They just got to build a lead so they can lean on those guys. And the Packers defense is the perfect defense, you know, to run the ball against. So I think if the Broncos can force Jordan love into some mistakes, if they can score a couple points on offense, jump out to a lead, and then try to run the ball against a you know a weak Green Bay run defense, I really think the Broncos have a, have a chance in this game. And like, I always feel like a homer when I talk about a team that's like one and five and say, oh no, they can win this game. But <laughs> sure. I really do believe that. But at the same time, I, I think it's fair for odds makers to say the Packers are a better team. You know, one point one and a half, they're a better team. I think that's fair. I just think the Broncos have a chance in this game. No, I'm with you. I think everything you said is is very fair, especially the pressure on Jordan Love. I mean, that's a huge key to the game. If you get pressure on Jordan Love, 
he has not been good with pressure in his face. He's making mistakes when pressure is in his face. So that's going to be a huge key to the game. Can Vance Joseph get his unit um, to get pressure on Jordan Love consistently? If you can, uh, I think you'll have a chance. And to your point, John, can the Broncos keep this recent uptick in performance up, right? That's going to be another huge storyline in this one. I Another thing too, and I agree with you, you and, you know, let's... Let's ride Javante Williams, Julio McLaughlin. That seems like a good game plan. But on the other side, we know what you're going to get from Green Bay, especially if Aaron Jones is back. They're going to run the hell out of the ball with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And the Broncos have not handled running backs very well this season. Uh, and there's a few games that stick out. <clears throat> Miami. Uh, you know, they they have not handled running backs very well. And Green Bay is really one of those teams that, are, that they're not only going to stick to the run, but there might be a drive where Matt LaFleur doesn't call a pass. You know what I mean? If they're running it well on you, they're going to keep pounding you. A.J. Dillon is a moose. Uh, Aaron Jones is um, an excellent running back if he's healthy. So we'll have to see there. But can the Broncos stand up against the run too, right? Because we know the Packers are going to bring that. What do you think about that matchup specifically, right? The Packers are a team that they're really are. They're running back centric, right? They're going to run the ball. They're going to throw it to their backs, especially Aaron Jones, John. And the Broncos have had some issues with that specific thing, that kind of offense. So I wonder if this is a a tough matchup for them. Yeah, the Broncos did a really good job of limiting the Chiefs rushing attack last week. And I kind of I think that kind of threw the Chiefs off because the Broncos, they kind of went both ways. Like they had two safeties sitting back, not letting Patrick Mahomes burn them over the top, but then they were also playing really sound defense up front and tackling the running backs, not letting them establish a ground game so against kansas city that worked great but um uh isaiah pacheco i think is the chiefs running back he's a talented guy you know he's kind of a gadgety kind of guy and he's a good player like and he's very good fit for the chiefs offense but he's not aaron jones i think aaron jones is more of a bruiser more of an established back like you said it seems like he's on track to return from injury this week and if he doesn't aj dillian is also aj dillian is also a, a very solid running back. Together, they're a very good one-two punch. And they're the kind of one-two punch that can wear you down much more than the Chiefs running backs can. So it, that is something that is a little bit of a concern. They, when they lost uh, Josie Jewell, he hurt his groin against the Dolphins. There was just a gaping hole in the Broncos' defense. And the Dolphins just ran it right down their throat. And now with Jewel being back, and even with Justin Simmons being back, uh, the first few games after Simmons came back, there was a time or two when a running back would get past the line, even get past the linebackers, and like 8, 10 yards downfield, Justin Simmons made a really good open field tackle. And if Justin Simmons doesn't make that open field tackle, it's like a 60, 50-yard touchdown that happened to the Broncos a couple times when Simmons was out injured. So Simmons being back, Jewel being back, I think that is a huge makes a huge difference on defense for the run game and just the defense overall. So I, I think this is going to be kind of the true test. Like was last week just kind of a flash in the pan, like a, a good matchup, and is the defense uh, not really uh, what they played on on Thursday Night Football or – you know, is the personnel better now with guys coming back from injuries? Have they f- figured out some things scheme-wise? I don't know. We're, we're going to find that out. I, I do think, though, the Packers have a better backfield than the Chiefs, and that is something to watch because the, the Packers, I think, similar to the Broncos, they want to protect the ball and run the ball. Like, if the Packers can get a lead and run on Denver, like, that's a winning formula. So I think both teams are kind of going to have similar strategies. 
Yeah, for sure. I think the Packers are going to commit to the run better than the Chiefs would, and they're just going to try to run, 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 and then hit you with like a deep one to Christian Watson. You know, that's kind of their game. Um, so uh, can the Broncos, uh, again, can they just keep up their recent good play? Can they do what they did against the Chiefs? Can they stand up against the Packers' run game? You you shut down the run game. You get the Packers more one-dimensional, have to pass. You get pressure on Jordan Love, and there is a path to victory here for the for the Broncos. I, I don't think that's far-fetched. But this is kind of the line. The line's drawn in the sand now, right, John? Yep. And this is it. Yep. You're one in five. If you lose this game, you're one in six. You have another. You have a game against Kansas City coming up again. Again, this is the uh, the Packers sandwich. The Packers are the meat, and the the Chiefs are the bread. You have Kansas City Packers, Kansas City on the schedule. The the Packers cheeseburger, whatever you want to call this, the Chiefs Packers cheeseburger, whatever whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about here, John. But you got the Chiefs twice in three weeks is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's a long way of saying that. The, the uh, Packers are definitely the cheese. Yeah, the, yeah, the, you're right. Yeah, that's perfect. Right. It's yeah, a cheese sandwich. A hundred percent. Thank God I have you, John. That's where I was exactly where I was trying to go with that. Uh, so you got the Chiefs again. You fall to one and six. You lose to Green Bay at home. Now you're one and six. You got a Chiefs team where yeah they come to your house, but you haven't beat them in the last sixteen tries or whatever it is. So like, the line's drawn in the sand. You know, it's either it's either we're in the tank and we're selling pieces here on on Halloween, October thirty first. Or we get a win against the Packers, and now we just almost beat the Chiefs, and now can we, let's go get them again. Well, when they're still not quite, I don't think they're they're going to be the Chiefs team we're going to see at the end of the year yet. I don't think they're quite there, and I think we saw some of that last Thursday. So the line's drawn in the sand, right? This is this is a must win game, and I think how this game goes, John, win or lose, kind of tells us how the rest of the season's going to go. Yeah, big time. Because like you said, if they lose this one and six. Presumably they lose to the Chiefs again, one and seven. Two days after that is the NFL trade deadline, like you mentioned. If that's the whole seven, focus. Like, yep. You you have to make trades if you're one and seven halfway through the season. Like you just have to. Uh, and at that point, I think Tank would be on. Like if they trade Cortland Sutton, trade Jerry Judy. And like if a contender thinks like Justin Simmons could make a huge difference for them and help them win a Super Bowl, like maybe somebody would give a first round pick for Justin Simmons. Like we've seen teams trade a lot for safeties before maybe you know that was like an outlier like the the Seahawks trade but it, it's possible so I think uh if, if they win this game then we'll go into the Chiefs game feeling optimistic because they played the Chiefs close last time if they somehow managed to beat the Packers somehow managed to beat the Chiefs then we're like okay you know still not thinking you know we're not going to win the Super Bowl this year but at least we can you know be respectable try to finish the second half of the season on somewhat of a strong note, build some momentum for next year and say, okay, you know, Sean Payton, it, it was rough early on, but we have confidence that he's going to right the ship. But if they lose this game to Green Bay, then, yeah, I, I'm just going to be on full. For my personal opinion is Take full a on tank mode. Take a thought. If they lose <laughs> the Packers. Like, they, they may still not say that out loud, but that's the approach I would take. If, if you lose this great game to green bay it's time to tank officially yeah the uh the header on broncos wire will just turn to tankathon wire and <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just be tracking caleb <laughs> tank williams wire. tank wire uh and that's what we'll become but yeah this packers team is just i don't know there's not a ton that scare you here their wins were against a bad bears team in week one and they beat the saints who have one of the more struggling offenses in the foot in football they won that game 18 to 17 uh you know so they're two and three I mean, this is a game you should be able to get. I don't know if I'm picking the Broncos, though, John. 
I just think I think I still think Green Bay is a little bit of a better football team, maybe a little bit better coached right now. Just they have their crap together a little bit more than the Broncos coming off a yeah. bye. So I think if I was putting my own money on this one, I would probably back the Packers. Um, not, not to say I'd feel comfortable with it. I think this game is kind of a coin flip, but yeah. I think I, I, I'm more confident in picking the Packers even at minus one and a half because I just think they have their crap together. And I, I kind of like Matt LaFleur as a coach. I think he does a pretty good job calling the offense. Uh, so I'm not sold on the Broncos by any means. <laughs> so I'm more comfortable picking Green Bay. I think that's where I would lean. What about you, though? Are you officially taking the Broncos one more time, John? What do you think? No, no. Officially, I have to back the Packers. Okay, so good. I, okay. I'm right there with you. Like, on paper, they're definitely a better team. Like, officially, uh, my pick is them to, to win, like, a close one. Like, um, well, I don't know, because I don't think their offense is going to score that many points if Denver's defense plays like that. So maybe, like, um, 20 to 18 or something. That would be depressing for the offense to play like that again. But, yeah, I, officially I'm picking the Packers, but I, I believe everything I said that the Broncos have a chance. I think you put it perfectly saying it's a toss-up. I truly think this is just a toss-up kind of a game. Well, there you go. We're picking the Packers, but we believe. There you go, John. That's That could be the headline <laughs> of this segment right there. Uh, so, all right, my man. So anything folks should be watching for on Broncos wire, any specific Caleb Williams articles, John, what are you guys working on as we get ready for kickoff here? Yeah. All the injury reports leading up to the game, Greg Dulcich with his hamstring again. Oh my God. Let me just cut you off him and his freaking hamstring, John. I'm done. I'm done. I am cutting. I'm not even cutting Dulcich. I'm cutting his hamstring. Get out of here. I'm done with you, Greg Dulcich, and your stupid hamstring. Gonna, Go on, I'm John. I'm going to lend him mine. I don't oh, know my God. Can we just... But it's worth a shot. Hamstring reconstructive. I don't... Get him a new leg. Like, this is ridiculous. Go on. Yeah, so there's him. I think Baron Browning might come back this week, but if they do that, I think they would do that on Friday or Saturday, so that's something to watch. We always have the TV map. We always have the Q&A exchange with the opposing team, so we'll get with Packers Wire and get some info about Green Bay leading up to Sunday's game. So all that will be on Broncos Wire leading up to the game, and then obviously we'll have game coverage on the site during and after. Love it. Broncos Wire's got you covered up until kickoff and beyond. Make sure you're checking that out. In terms of the podcast, thanks for joining us as always. We appreciate you all, the listeners. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. Leave us a rating, tell a friend, spread the word. We're here every week no matter how bad it gets. Uh, So for John Heath... I'm Ryan O'Leary. We appreciate you once more. We'll talk to you next week after Broncos Packers.